Hello everyone. It's very good to come together again for Bible study time. And welcome to this program. My name is Nukrita and I'm your host. Very happy to be with you again today. Please stay with us and uh, we are looking forward for a wonderful time together to open the Word of God and to learn some um, good things today. And I would like to thank uh, my panel for uh, coming together today and uh, looking at this uh, Bible study. And I will say hello to Helen. How are you, Helen? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Good to have you with us thank uh, today. You. And Lydia, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Praise the Lord for being here today to have another day of living and honoring God. Praise God for that. Ken, how are you? We just missed you last week. Uh, welcome back. Yes, thank you very much, Nick. Always a busy person as most people are today and it's always a pleasure to be here. That's very good. And Brenton, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure to share God's Word with our listeners, and I pray that they'll receive a real blessing. Mm. Definitely. Uh, particularly because Len was preparing this uh, Bible study for today, and we're looking forward for all the insights coming from Len also. Len, wel- welcome to the program, and thank you again for uh, putting together, uh, preparing this uh, Bible study. Well, thank you for the welcome, and hello, listeners. And we know further um, comments, so we'd like to just uh, pass it to you, Len, and uh, uh, make a start. Okay, well, last week we shared with you from mainly the books of Ezra and Nehemiah about the importance of families. And the Bible lists family lines, including Jesus' earthly family line. We also studied the importance of history especially from the successes and mistakes made by those who've gone before and how we can learn from the past. Uh, This week we will use the setting of the dedication of the completed wall surrounding Jerusalem as recorded in Nehemiah 12 and endeavour to draw lessons from it that pertain to corporate and individual worship in our current times. So I want to let you know that this is an exciting and very interesting Bible study. But before we actually commence to open the Word of God, I'm going to invite you, along with the rest of the panel, to bow your heads, and Lydia is going to pray for us. Glorious Father in heaven, we're coming here before you to bring you honor and glory and praise. And thank you, Father, for everything that we receive from your gracious hand. Please be with us and uh, bless every one of us as we study your Holy Word. Please, Father, send your Holy Spirit to inspire us in our hearts with with the meaning, the proper meaning of your Word and bring us light into our hearts to understand your Word and uh, share with others. Father, thank you so much for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lydia. Well, Helen, I want to start this um, discussion off with a question that seems very obvious, and yet it's not. The question is, who or what should be the centre and focus of worship? Okay, let me just say that the operative word in that question is should. Who should be. Not who is, but who should be. And The logics behind that, of course, I would say, as a Christian, God should be the centre and focus of worship. But as you said, it's not always that way. 
and it isn't in in this world that we live in we can be so sidetracked that before we know it anything that separates us from god becomes an idol and we may not even recognize that as an idol but you know when you allow things to be central in your life and you're focusing on them i.e sports and i know cricket is is a big one at the moment you know and things like that people forget that really god is the one they should be worshiping god is the one that gives us every breath that we breathe and he gives us the eyes to watch these things ears to hear he is the one that should be central in our life yes it's interesting you use the word idol and we hear about pop idols yes and it seems very much to me that we should give our worship to a being or someone and i use that word advisedly who is of a higher existence than we are ourselves and as far as i'm concerned it doesn't make any sense to me to worship a carved piece of stone or a molded piece of metal or a carved piece of wood it seems to be such a ridiculous thing but when we worship god who is on a higher level than us then i think we're on the right track i think in today's society we need to even look beyond the wooden and the stone you know idols because you know to most people in 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 our society that's not what they do they don't necessarily worship a stone or i know there are some that do but i think we've got to even go broaden it more like you said pop idols or athletes or or whatever let's remember we are all equal god has created us all equal and we've all been given different different gifts and talents i think also one of the interesting parts about it is that many people worship or Perhaps maybe worship's not the right name, but I know many people do worship certain things. But they're forgetting that actually it's because of God that they even can worship these things because absolutely everything in the world comes from God. He gives men the great brains that they have to create all these wonderful things. So when you look at it and boil it back down to its basics, every single thing comes from the Lord. Yes, that's a good thing to remember because some people get rather wrapped up in their own importance or intelligence or whatever forgetting that if god should just say raise his finger and say you've just had your last heartbeat well they know more actually right. can i just jump in right there i was reminded this week about hoarding i guess this is a good time for confession is it i'm a hoarder and look it's so hard for me to admit uh, I have so many interests in so many things. But I was reminded the other day of the man, as you said, you know, you, you bring things into your own life. I was reminded of the man in the Bible where he was there saying, oh, look, you know, I'll build bigger barns for this stuff. And God reminded him, well, you know, um, sorry, but tonight's the night you're going to go. And I thought about that the other night and I thought, why do I do this? Why do I hoard things when I could be taken? You know, I mean, who knows when my time is up? And then my dear friend has to come and get a skip in and clean it all out. <laughs> so don't right. come to my house mm -hmm. for a while, everybody. Yes. Now, panel, in your own worship, and I know you all attend church and you love the Lord and you read your Bibles and so on, otherwise you wouldn't be here. What aspects of worship make it meaningful or meaningless to you? Well, I think, Leon speaking for myself, I think for me particularly prayer is meaningful to me because every single day, start of day and the end of day, I think I've got a new day and this is a day that the Lord has given me 
there's many, many blessings in it. Look, I know we all have issues, we all have problems, and obviously as many of us get older, we still uh, we, we get more problems than perhaps what we'd like to have. But even so, we still have a wonderful day. And I think that, as Helen mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, every single breath we take comes from the Lord, and every heartbeat we have comes from the Lord. So I sincerely thank the Lord for the day. And at the end of the day, again, it's a thankful day because every day has blessings in it. And people might think, well, what do you mean by blessings? And they perhaps think you're getting super miracles and all this. But when you break it down into its simplest forms, you have a day you've got, for the majority of us anyway, you've got a roof over your head, you've got people that love you, you've got food in your belly, and you've got freedom, and you've got you know, health to do X, Y, and Z. So there's just so many blessings there, I think, sometimes that people take for granted. And one of the other really important things I give thanks for every day is all the things that God does for me today that I know nothing about. Right. Yes, Lydia? Whatever makes worship meaningful to me is that I have a relationship with God. I talk to God by reading his holy word, the Bible, uh, some other books. I talk to him. I meditate on whatever I uh, read and with whatever I'm inspired to think about it. And I talk to God. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship. In the days that I'm not doing, uh, because of some other circumstances, I feel empty, totally empty. It's like I'm having a hunger attack. So it's exactly as you as we feed on physical food, we feed on uh, spiritual food. So meaningless for me, days are meaningless when I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Mm. I think uh, there's a couple of aspects, Len, that are very important here. Your question is uh, what makes worship meaningful? To me, the most meaningful aspect of worship is when... Uh, I am reading God's word and having it explained to me. Uh, the Jews placed a lot of emphasis on not only the reading of the law, but as we have studied in previous studies, uh, explaining it and applying it is very important. The aspects of worship that make me feel it meaningless is sometimes I have felt in some worship services as more of a, more of a production than an actual worship sure. phase. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and uh, myself, yeah, I just wanted to uh, kind of complement what uh, Brenton was just saying because uh, the problem is we may experience or go to church or have a worship together as we plan, as we prepare things and not being aware of the fact that uh, it's not only God who desires worship. There is his enemy Satan who desires worship too and he will do everything what it takes to counterfeit the worship and uh, not even noticing sometime good people good Christians they are going in the wrong direction in style of worship and uh, I want to say this thing with uh, with much uh, care and uh, appreciation to all those people who are involved in worship, but I would like to say that it's a, one of the greatest responsibility for those people who are involved in planning worship, because it's the time when we prepare all to meet God. And probably today, in this Bible study, we are going to look into the Bible 
particularly in Nehemiah chapter 12, to see how worship was planned and to see what the Bible speaks about how we should worship God. For me, when I think of worship, there is different aspects. There's the private worship, there's the corporate worship. For me, in the mornings, to start off praising God makes my worship meaningful. And I talk to him and I thank him. I pull the curtain back and I see the bird's nest high up in the tree and, you know, and sometimes I'm watching the stars at night. To me, his creation and nature makes it meaningful to me. And the first person to talk to is God. The first book to read is about him. And that sets the mode for the day. There are times when we go to corporate worship and we might be having some thoughts which draw us away from a blessing of that worship. To make it meaningful for me, I need to forget self. When I walk into a church, I'm there to worship God, to be a blessing used of him, but a blessing for the people. When I'm focused on him, the worship is meaningful. I take notes or whatever. When I'm focused on self, it is totally meaningless. Just recently I viewed some YouTube footage Mm -hmm. with uh, a fairly prominent and very wealthy preacher in the United States of America. And I abhor what I see because the whole thing is a show. And you've all expressed a reaching out to God, a dedication to God, a commitment, wanting God in your life rather than just a big glory show. Well, we're going to read now from Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 and 28a, how this worship time was being planned at the completion of the wall in Jerusalem, way back in history. Brenton? Now, the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication. Note, with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Neptuthalims. All right, there's some very tricky words here. You need to practice them. But who was the, were the people, what group did they belong to who were chosen to do this special ceremony, this singing? The Levites. And who were the Levites? They were the ones that God had specifically put in charge of uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness. They were not only to erect it, they they were to officiate in uh, the services such as uh, the thanksgiving and also the sacrifices. They were also, part of their role was to provide music, both uh, vocal and instrumental which would engage the people in, in singing as All right, well. you probably answered what I was going to ask Ken. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, <laughs> Sorry, Ken. We'll I get around not. that. Nick, what did you want to say here? I just want to um, again mention that thing, they were chosen people. Mm. This is a very interesting thing, because when you deal with God and worship, it's about people who are chosen to do that thing. It's not just a matter of anyone can just uh, rock up you know and uh, do whatever they they want and they think why why it's important this because even though helen you mentioned that you know we have a private time to worship god but also have corporate time to worship and when you do corporate worship you need to set up things in the right order in the right place 
to be meaningful also for the congregation, but most of all, most of all, to really worship God. Because when you come together, two, three people together, you already come with different uh, expectations, are you? Mm-hmm. And that's why worship is very important to be organized. And I think this is a great example from the Bible, how those people took the right advice and did the right thing to really worship God in the right way. I agree with you, Nick, in the organizational side, and it is good to have professional as well, but it reminds me of the story of the professional singer that was out there, and he actually sang, I think it was... um, was it the Lord's Prayer or Shepherd's Psalm? One of those. He sang Shepherd's Psalm. Shepherd's Psalm. You know the story, mm. and um, you know the the crowd clapped, and it was well. And there was a, a a man in the wings, and he asked if he could sing it. Now he wasn't a professional singer, but he sang from the heart. And when he did, there wasn't a dry eye in the auditorium. And I think, as professional as it is, we must not discount those people who are not professional, but who love the Lord so much that yes. their expression comes through, and God can mm. add to that. I agree. Yes. And just to answer to that, uh, mm. because we don't want to make that confusion that you need to have uh, to um, engage pro- professional no. people in terms of how we relate yes. to the professionalism. Mm. What I mean is that do, those people, like the Levites, they were people who had to prepare themselves mm-hmm. before they were acting in that service. Now, everyone who's asked to partake in a worship time, they should be the people to prepare okay. themselves, to be uh, equipped, if you like, not just ask anyone, whoever you, because you never know what's in their lives. Mm-hmm. Now. We, not to confuse, not to confuse that there are times together when we come and worship to share. Sharing time, it's a different thing than everyone called. But when you worship, it's, I believe it's important to be prepared. Oh, okay. absolutely. Well, I think you hit the nail yeah, on the head. That's a good there. point. And we'll yes. be coming on to that soon. Yes. So, Ken, just to reiterate, these Levites, what were they specifically asked to do? Well, specifically they were asked to provide instrumental and choral music for the celebration of, de- of dedicating the wall. But I would like to add that uh, it wasn't all the Levites. These were, uh, shall we say, a different group of Levites that had been set aside. It may have been because of their uh, good voices. It may have been because they were particularly good with instruments. But it's fascinating to read uh, in the Old Testament that that they actually had a musical school where these people were mm. trained and taught yeah. in this David's line of day. yes, uh, in this line of work, and it had been a tradition of theirs. And the other important thing is that it wasn't a show they were putting on. Uh, it wasn't for people to go there and say, "Oh, we, we, we've got a bit of a, a Levite concert tonight. Let's sit back and enjoy this." Mm. It was a sincere thing. It was we talking about from the heart that these people were sincerely from their heart praising God with the instruments of the day and the beautiful voices of the day and to them it was a really important issue to do this Mm. I think Ken you've just hit a very very important point they were not there to entertain and unfortunately in today's society a lot of people want to be entertained and and I think you just hit the nail on the head there that it was came from their heart they weren't there to entertain the people they were there wholly and solely to praise God I would like to say that all these musicians and uh, singers, they were carefully selected because one important thing in music is to have 
harmony and they have meaning because God is a perfect God. He is a perfect creator. So in heaven is everything is perfect. So to worship the Lord, the music has to have a pleasant harmony. Lydia, I know you have something there that you would like to share with us. Could you do that, please? Yes. Following the listing of genealogies in Nehemiah 11 and 12, the, the author transitions to the time they celebrated the dedication of the city wall. So it was customary for the nation to dedicate things to God. The temple wall, a city wall, wall or even houses and public buildings. Such a dedication was thoughtfully prepared and was accompanied with singing, music, feasting, sacrifices, rejoicing, merriment, and purification of the people. All right, thank you. Now, you mentioned the word dedicate here. Yep. And you'll notice that the people dedicated the temple, the wall, their houses, and all sorts of things. Helen, what does it mean to dedicate? I believe that the word dedication means to set it aside for something holy, especially if you're dedicating it to God. Mind you, there are people who dedicate themselves to the devil. And that's true. You know, they sell their soul for the devil. But I believe in this instance, we're talking about dedicating it to the Lord. And you probably stop and wonder, well, why would you dedicate a wall? Mm. Why would you dedicate a house? You know, and I thought about that and I thought, well... It was God who helped them to build the wall, wasn't it? It was God who allowed them to build the temple. It was God who allowed them to do all these things. Should it not have been dedicated to him? And I think, too, we can learn a lesson from this. You know, we can dedicate our homes to be homes that are dedicated to God, that our children can see that God is very real to us, you know, and dedicate our lives to him in such a way that we are a walking sermon for people. We don't even have to open our mouths. Yes, that's Mm. a really good answer, and I Mm. like that answer. And I have to tell you that in our morning worship, my wife and I dedicate ourselves to the Lord for this day and we did okay in the we know that uh, in the Bible somewhere it says that the gold and silver on this earth is all God's so it means whatever material things we have is God's okay so we have to give everything whatever we have because it it belongs to God anyway and I would like also to comment in regard to the purification because when you dedicate something, you purify, especially the purif- uh, dedication of people. When they were uh, uh, dedicated themselves to God, uh, they uh, followed a procession of purification, like abstaining for, from some things, having, uh, you know, a part of, of the fact that they were washed themselves, you know, washing themselves and mm. cleaning themselves. Mm. They were also uh, a purification of inwardly purification, purification of the heart and thoughts and, and mind and everything. Okay. Mm. So spiritual right. pu- purification. Okay. Ken, you wanted to add something here? Yes, I think uh, it's really along the same lines as just Leecher has said, that really every single thing in this earth is the Lord's. And even the homes we, we live in, sometimes people say to me about your home. I say, no, it's not actually my home, it's the Lord's. I'm just looking yeah. after it for him. 
I was thinking too, how many of us actually dedicate our cars mm-hmm. to mm. to the Lord? You know, I know we have in the past, and God has blessed in the most amazing way in supplying those cars. You know, even our thoughts. Do we dedicate our thoughts to God? Mm. Because mm. too often our thoughts go on the wrong tangent. We need to pull them back and focus on God and dedicate our thoughts, our time, our voices, you know, as we've mentioned, our home, and even our talents should all be dedicated to God, set for apart for holy purpose. Use in his service. Yes, yeah, amen. That's very wonderful, all, all what you shared here. And it's important because we mentioned a bit earlier that uh, it's not only God who desires worship, mm and to people to be dedicated to him with everything what they have but also the enemy is uh, desiring that and I would just like to bring a next uh, story from the Bible uh, just to compare these things you may heard about most of the people uh, may heard about the king of Babylon Nebuchadnezzar and he said about something some walls and some big uh, buildings there is that not I who build all these things. Mm. Now, the difference is that we can, when God asks us to dedicate to him, is that we recognized that everything what happens is because of him. That's why with his help, as was mentioned here. But too often, we have the tendency to say, wow, have I done very well, you know, very good. Look, I achieved this, I achieved that, and so on and so forth. And then I is brought up, and I is directly done to worship somebody else rather than God. Why? Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, why is it that every time Nick talks, a thought comes into my my head? And I was thinking too, you know, we dedicate our talents. And I remember years ago that I dedicated my talents to God. But I also remember once when I was called um, to play an organ on the spur of the moment, piece I'd never seen, the organist had got up and said, Helen will play it because I can sight read. And I remember sitting at the organ and I said, Lord, help me. And, you know, we got through the... I was counting the time and everything, I tell you. We got through the first verse and the second one. By the time I got through to the third verse, I actually relaxed and I said, wow, we're doing well. And then I hit the wrong note and it was almost like the thought came, who's doing well? I said, sorry, Father, you're doing well. Yeah, And it's so true, we do that, don't we? Brent, sorry to come over, Brent. Yeah. Yes, just briefly, um, we've talked a lot so far about worship. We've talked about dedication. Dedication and worship are tied together, I believe, Len. A person who is fully dedicated and who understands true worship leads to one thing and one thing only, service to others. Yes, Mm. yes. All right, well, then we dedicate ourselves and have you ever thought of it when perhaps you have an active part in a, a worship service? dedicate your part in that service. Here we've been talking about the choosing of the Levites to provide music for this special occasion. Why is music an important part of corporate worship? Well, I, I think, Lynn, there's a, a number of parts to this uh, about music. Uh, one is, of course, that it unites people in singing, it unites people in playing, and I think it adds uh, an extra dimension to the worship. Uh, it could be maybe the highest form of expression uh, in worship itself. But I think music has a tremendous power for people. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one example in, in my own life. Uh, one of my most favourite 
pieces of music is the theme tune from out of Africa mm-hmm. and every time I hear this music I, I go into another uh, arena really? shall we say and it's just the most beautiful piece for me personally it's the most beautiful piece of music and uh, it's very calming and relaxing and I think the Lord has given the people these skills to put this together music again is one of the lovely gifts God has given mankind to share for everybody else and I think it's just an important thing and so many people get so much out of it yes please. We know that both in heaven and on earth, music is part of the worship experience. So the singing is all about what God has done for his people, for Israelites, and also we sing praises to God for whatever God done for us. So it's, uh, it's praise to God for its acts of salvation. Right. There's a very clear um, thing that we can do which I believe will help us when it uh, comes to understanding music and its relationship to worship to God. A lot of modern music, if you sit down and actually have a look at it, I'm talking about Christian music. A lot of modern Christian music is very self-focused music. Mm. It's very, very interesting to compare it with some of the older hymns and the older styles of um, praising God and the modern ones. Um, I believe in looking at them, you can see where the focus actually is a lot of modern music is very much about I and me and all the rest of it and my relationship to God and my, my, my and I, I, I um, I think true worship is transcends all of that Len. I think true worship takes you away from yourself totally and saying everything I have Lord and everything I ever will be including my musical talents comes from you that's and is to be directed to you mm. that's a good point now just quickly Lydia what sort of instruments were mentioned there uh, would you just like to share with us what they were yes we can read in Nehemiah many kind of instruments that they used so they used trumpets cymbals harps lyres mm. so in psalm 150 it's a beautiful psalm it says there praise the lord praise him with the sounding of trumpet praise him with the harp and uh, lyre praise him with tambourine and with the strings and flute praise him with the clash of cymbals praise him with resounding cymbals let everything that has breath praise the lord now it mentioned cymbals and things that make a loud noise noise. why loud instruments legit loud instruments is because people around they heard this sound of music of praising the lord and they i think they were very impressed in nehemiah 12 verse 43 the last part it says the choirs and the instruments under the direction of uh, jezrahiah and the sound of rejoicing in jerusalem could be heard from far away so So. when we praise the lord we don't need to praise the Lord quietly and silently. So it's not because God is deaf or anything? No, no, no it's not because of that. No hearing impaired issue. Yes, <laughs> Look, I was waiting for this moment for a long time, just to share something. I mean, just to, to give a bit of background, I come from a show business background, and uh, one of my favorite instruments when I was young, uh, and I wanted to, to learn and to play, were drums. And uh, 
God has his own plan with me. Even though I like a lot uh, guitar too, and I um, start to take some lessons on guitar, but uh, my fingers were too big to, to work with a guitar, you know, and anyway, soon I gave up. I would like to bring a point here, because earlier I mentioned that for every good thing, Satan has a counterfeit. And when we read in the verse that they were worshipping God with the symbols, with the string instruments, and with uh, others which are mentioned there, how interesting is that in the modern worship, we use some instruments which are counterfeit of those ones. And I'll give you an example. Now, I know what symbols are. They are two round things which you clash together once in a while, once in a while, just to make that thing, you know, uh, come, come through, you know, through the whole as, uh, assembly. And an orchestra will have symbols, but a classic orchestra wouldn't have drums, but a modern orchestra will have drums today. Now, Satan works so cunningly to bring, to replace the string beautiful instruments with the electric guitars, which are played today and, and very loud. Now, I was hooked on this for many years myself, because as I said, I was on the first row on, on rock and roll and so on and so forth. But we want to be careful not to do the things which we want. We, we think it's the right thing, but to do what God wants. And we can use the instruments to praise his name, or we can use the instruments to uplift our spirits. All right. Thank you, Dick. Brenton, there are hmm. other occasions where singing and playing of instruments is mentioned in the Bible. Yes. There are a number of places. What motivates the singing and music in worship. Let me be specific. Exodus 15, Second Chronicles 20, verses 20 and 21, and 22 rather, and Revelation 19. All of these uh, sections of the Bible refer to worship not only as praise to God, but worship because of God's deliverance. Okay. So that really presupposes the next question. Why? What did people worship and praise God about Helen? Great text in Ezra, Ezra 3:11. Let me read it. It says, And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. It actually goes on to say, Then all the people gave a shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. And when I, when I actually thought of that verse, it reminds me actually of Psalm 136, 126. That is a psalm of repetition. It is a psalm of responses. It is a psalm that repeats exactly those words in Ezra 3.11. His mercy endureth forever. And it repeats it 26 times. Yes. Psalm 136, 1 to 26. It was important. You know, his mercy endures forever. And while we're talking about this, we praise and thank him for different things. And if we look in Scripture, we'll see there are many, many songs in Scripture. And they're praising him for different things. You know, we've spoken about Ezra, dedication of the temple. We've spoken about Nehemiah. You know, they were praising God for the wall. In Exodus, there was a song of Moses, song of deliverance. It was history. In Numbers, um, there was a song composed to praise God for water in the wilderness in Judges there was Deborah and Barak's song of praise thanking God for victory 
in 2 Samuel, David's song of thanks and praise to God for rescuing him. Can you see the pattern here? Mm. Solomon, yeah. his, his song of love, celebrating the union of husband and wife. You know, Isaiah's prophetic song about how the redeemed will sing in New Jerusalem. Ezra 3.11, Israel's song of praise at the completion of the temple's foundation. Luke talks about Mary's song, you know, and we could go on and on and on in the New Testament. Zechariah's song of praise for the birth of his son. Acts, how Paul and Silas sang in heaven, in prison. You know, they were a witness. Revelation says the new song of the 24 elders, worthy because Christ could break the seal. Yeah. And, of course, Revelation 14 talks about the song of the redeemed and Revelation 15, the song of all the redeemed and praise of the Lord who redeemed them. Right. They are just some of them. I mean, I'm not going through the whole... That was a long list already, but they are important songs. But it shows me that we can sing and we can praise God for anything and everything, because his mercy endures forever. There are plenty of good reasons to praise yes, God. absolutely. And I believe uh, what uh, Helen, you just shared, it's so important because it um, gives you that information there in the Bible, why are we singing to God, praising God, because of our experience with him. You know, and when Israelites, they came through certain experience with God, they were praising him. With, uh, you mentioned about the Song of Moses, that, you know, and many others. Mm. What I want to just share is that we should be very intentional in our uh, worship and to have an experience with God, not to just borrow, not to just borrow worship style from whatever else. Because keep in mind that Israelites were told not to look over the fence, for example, you know, and just borrow from other nations around, other people, other things, because they could even easily, and believe me, uh, the other nations, they were very uh, good into uh, be happy, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, praising uh, themselves and praising their gods. And it's so easy that us, we can borrow from outside things which we will implement in our worship and thinking that we do the right thing. And that's why I believe it's important to be intentional and focus on how to worship God. Absolutely. Brenton, you've got something to share. Yes, this is an interesting comment to hear. The singers were Levites and therefore officially assigned to the temple. Thus, providing music for the temple services was their paid job. During the time of King David, a fully-fledged musical academy was organised, which he supervised. It had teachers and students, young and old, who worked in shifts in the temple providing music. Some were instrumentalists, others singers, yet others took care of the instruments and the garments used for the services. What was the purpose of such a professional organisation? It served to develop talent and the vision of excellence in worship. Excellence must always be a goal in worship. Praises must come from the heart and be expressed in the best possible way so that people will be spiritually uplifted. One can assume that those musicians and singers who served in the temple were carefully selected to lead the worship service. Thank you, Brandon. Very quick, because I took a long time before. Very quick. The, what you just read, Brenton, shows me that all the people were involved. Isn't that total member involvement? Yes. Mm. And yes, isn't that is. what we want to see today? Mm, Everybody involved? So to answer why music is such an important part of celebration and worship ser service, we have to look a little bit of, uh, of the music in the temple. So music in the temple was not like a concert, just to listen. 
you know, rather as the musicians sang and played the instruments, the people bowed in prayer. So it was part of their worship and uh, to lift the people's thoughts heavenward, help them, the whole worship experience to be more pleasant. Okay. Well, now, we come to another section of Nehemiah where it talks about purifying. Mm-hmm. We mentioned dedication, but now purifying. And, Ledger, would you read Nehemiah 12, verse 30, please? When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So it means cleaning. They, they, they cleaned them. They dedicated to the Lord through prayer, through songs, and through, through worshiping God. Right, so it wasn't just dedicated, but purified. Purified, yes. I mean, uh, we haven't got time today to go back into the uh, history and uh, some of the books of the Bible, like Leviticus and uh, other parts of the Bible, when God is very specific in terms of uh, mm. uh, what uh, to, to be to be cleansed, you know, to be purified. But one thing is, I would like to bring it down to our uh, time, and uh, I'll give an example. When we are approaching communion, for example. It's a special time, is it? Yes. That we prepare, people are preparing for that time. Cleansing, preparation, inward, you know, whatever it takes. Worship, it's similar. When we come before God to worship, we need to be purified. We cannot come just, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the Bible says, come as you are, you know, to, to seek me, to find God. But when you are giving to God, because this is now to offer a sacrifice because worship is an offering also to God then you need to to do the right things you know not just uh, yeah do as you feel but purification means also as I said before it means a spiritual purification inwardly purification so you talk to others which you done some mistakes or you had an argument okay so ask for forgiveness okay so uh, you pray with them you hug them and embrace them and forgive everybody so uh, you put yourself right with everybody here on earth and with god in heaven so this it means inwardly purification of the heart thoughts and mind and everything it's a preparation yeah can i can i just add here to make it simpler for people, purification is a cleansing. Yes. And um, one of my favourite texts brings it out that it is Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness mm-hmm. if we confess to him. It's it's a cleansing. Right. And that was a very good thought uh, because we do all those things because of Jesus in our lives, yes. not because we prepare everything, even though, very important what Brenton just said, that they had a school, which means when you have a school of something, it's intentional. You pre- it's not something just come up uh, randomly. It's You know, you have a direction. You have a, a plan, and that's very important. Okay. Well, if you were to meet the Queen, you wouldn't wear your old dirty old boots and dirty old clothes, and men probably would have shaved. Yes. Same thing. Coming into the presence of God, we need to prepare, and that's yes. purification. Brenton, when the law was given on Mount Sinai... As you can read from Exodus 19, verses 10 and 11, what were the people to do? Uh, They were to uh, wash their clothes, 
and uh, it basically says in these texts to simplify it and make it as quickly as possible. On the third day, it says, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Can I suggest something interesting here? This is before the tabernacle services were ever put in place. Now, on the Day of Atonement, what were they required to do? The priest had to wash. He had to change his clothes at least three times during the Day of Atonement. I believe God. what God is doing here before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai is preparing the people for what will become a practice later on. Yes. So here we're talking about people preparing <coughs> for worship. Ken, what sort of people does God actually call his people? In other words, the saints. Well... Reading Revelation 14 and verse 12, it says here, Here is the patience of the saints, and here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So it's a special people that the Lord has put aside and, and uh, wants them to not only worship him but keep his commandments. In itself. Absolutely. That is a purification process. Yes, yes it is. Though. And accepting... Christ's sacrifice to forgive us our sins is also a purifying process. Going down to um, when a person has or feels that they are impure, that they are polluted by sin, how is anyone cleansed from that sin, Lydia? Yeah, it says that uh, in, I would like to read the verse in First John 1, 9. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. So it means if you have darkened thoughts in your heart or something against your brother, you already are impure. So you have to put yourself right with God and others around you to be pure to be yeah. purified, to ask for forgiveness, to ask God for forgiveness and to ask all the others around you for forgiveness. It's also. a beautiful text, First John is. 1 verse 9. If we confess, if we confess our, sins, our sins, yes, he is faithful yeah. and just yeah. to forgive us our sins yes. so we can yes. be purified. Mm -hmm. And then the next bit says, and to cleanse us, cleanse yes. us mm. from all unrighteousness. Sin is polluting. Yes. Helen, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, there's a metaphor used to describe what God's people are clothed in. Right, okay, let me just read it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, after the, and that was Revelation 7, 9, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. I believe the metaphor is the white robes, mm. and white signifies yes. purity. purity. Yes. Well, now, with all this... Um, Ken, if you would read Nehemiah 12, verse 31, there's a feature that we see operating here. It's Nehemiah 12, 31. Then they brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies of them that give thanks, whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall towards the dung gate. Okay, so what was happening here? Now what was happening again, this was a, a worship day, but what's so interesting is that it's the order that it's set in place. It's not just, oh, let's do our own thing and let's do this. 
there was, there was a set uh, order that they adhered to to fulfil what God wanted. Yeah, it was organised. Uh, very, very practical, you know. Uh, when they started from uh, the same point, they um, go in different ways, you know, uh, left and right, and they meet together again. Mm. Um, what that means, and they were going all around the, you know, pretty much of the city, you know, they were exposed to all the people. Uh, there was not something just like many traditional churches today, they will sometimes even close the door, you know, it's just the priest there and doing all the, the thing there, and people don't know what's happening. This was exposed to everyone to be part of this amazing time when God is revealing himself and God is taking part of this worship. It was an intelligent presentation of what God Yes. Alright, well now we see uh, that this is organized it's orderly. The question is, is God orderly Ken? Yes, yes that's clearly shown throughout the Bible even if we, we look at the first week in Genesis, the creation week, God has set plans and works to set things and as we know even the uh, the planets in space are all set on a, a special plan. Okay, yes I believe we have every reason to believe that God is orderly Okay, well this procession goes around the wall, one choir goes this way and the other choir goes the other way, they meet at the end where did they meet, Brandon? They ended up at the temple then, and it says, So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the, in the house of God, which obviously is the temple. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Minjamin, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets. Once again, you have loud instruments being mm. used. You also have, Len, if you were to paint a word picture for our listeners, you have the two choirs facing one another. Oh, yes. They're not standing back to back or side by side. They are facing one another, one yeah. on one side of the temple, the other on the other side. Right. Okay. So at the temple, Helen, mm -hmm. what happened there? Well, I read in Nehemiah 12.43, it says, Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. Yeah. Even the women and children also participated in the celebration. The joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. Right. So they had a day of singing, rejoicing, but also sacrifice. So what were these sacrifices and why were they made? Well, if if you go and look through all of the, the Old Testament, it talks about many different sacrifices. Uh, sacrifices to God, sacrifices that were showing us that Jesus is the Lamb of God, sacrifices of their um, first fruits. There were so many sacrifices. It says this was a great one. It yeah. was a great one, and that caused them great joy. Yeah. Many sacrifices. So they were sacrificing not only their cells and their time, but also the animals to praise good, God. Good. Very, very, very short, Len, uh, I want to say that from the beginning, since the scene come on the picture, God promised something, and that was the Messiah. Yeah. And all the sacrifices in, uh, in the olden, Old Testament were pointing to the coming of Messiah. Now, the question is, us, after the coming of Messiah, what sort of sacrifices are we about to experience? 
I think I'd like to come across you on that one, Nick. Not just what we're about to experience. We should be like these. Um, Christ has offered the greatest sacrifice of for us all, yes. and he has given us a cause for all the people for great joy. Yes. Brenton, you wanted to get a um, word in edgeways? <laughs> Just very, very quickly, the sacrifices that are mentioned, I believe they are primarily uh, sacrifices of thanksgiving oh. and peace th sacrifices. Number two, we've missed something that's very important here. It says the women uh, celebrated in the service. Only once in the Old Testament, other than this, will you find the women mentioned in the actual worship service. That's in Exodus chapter 15, after the... Uh, children of Israel delivered from uh, the Egyptians through the sea, the Red Sea. Yes. A very, very interesting point. Now, I'm very happy um, that Helen mentioned the great sacrifice. Mm. It was talking about great yes. sacrifices. Yes. But great sacrifice. You mentioned the fact that this was a sacrifice of Jesus who gave up the glory he had in heaven, came to this earth, lived as a human being, a humble human being, a sinless life for us. That is the great sacrifice. The sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to backtrack a little bit and just try and uh, round this up. In Ledger, in Nehemiah 12, in the first part of verse 44, it talks about later on storerooms were set up in the mm -hmm. temple area. What were they going to store? Yeah, it says that at that time men were appointed to be in in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. So people brought together their own offerings, first fruits, tithes, contributions, whatever they had. They chose the best to bring it to God in, in, in God's storeroom to honor the Lord. Yes, that's right. Okay. Well, now, um, not just to honor the Lord, but it was also for the support of the priests and and the others who served mm. in the temple. What a great uh, a, a great setup, great organisation that God set up here, wasn't it? Mm. Yes. Mm. Now the Apostle Paul friends, he had, a bit had to something say to say about this. He did. It's interesting that Paul very, very quickly, wherever possible, provided for himself because his profession was a, as a tent maker. But he makes it very clear in First Corinthians nine nine to fourteen that those who serve the Lord in an organised capacity, whether it's leading in worship, whether it's explaining the word of God, or whatever, they deserve to be supported uh, financially and economically. Yes, and that's fair enough, isn't it? Those who give their life to serve other people, to lead them to the Lord, have every right to be supported by the people whom they serve. Well now, I uh, would like to say this. We know about the great sacrifice. We read about the great joy that was on this yes. occasion. Yes. I want to ask you this question. The fact that Jesus gave his life to save your life, Helen, has it brought great joy to you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, to know that I can come to him, I can come to God boldly because of Christ, I can come because he calls me, he's chosen me, but I can come because he has forgiven my sins. Oh, he amen. died on the cross. I can't even get my head around it, to be honest with you. Here is the King of Kings, the Creator God, died on the cross for me, for mm. me. That's just awesome. 
Yes. That's awesome. That fills my heart with joy because it gives me hope. It gives me assurance that um, my sins are already covered. You know, I, I don't be. I don't need to be afraid to ask God. Um, through Jesus to plead my case, mm. He has already won it. Yeah. That is a great hope. That's a pretty good reason to have. It's a very good joy. reason to be joyful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yes. panel. I'm going to ask you some final comments today. Some take-home thoughts. Do you have any, Nick? Then, for sure, this Bible study for me uh, was very important because, again, I was reminded to be intentional in uh, worshiping God, serving God. And the way I'm doing this is to to do what God is pleased with rather than man. Okay. For me, Len, we're experiencing in these days too much of social gospel, social gathering, prosperity gospel, and all other things. We should come again before the Lord in consecration, reverence, revival to do the right thing for our Lord Jesus. Ken, did you have any special thoughts to leave with the listeners? I'll try and keep this one short. There's so much you could say, but uh, really, I think we always have to remember that the the praise of the Lord should be always on our lips and I know as I said early on many of us have difficult circumstances but even so we also have many many blessings and we should be constantly thanking and praising God alright that's good Helen what about you Oh, well, I, I think, yeah, like you, there's, there's quite a few. I think we need to learn not to take our musicians and our singers for granted. Certainly not take God for granted. How many of us do or we criticise all the time? But I think there's also, also the song of the redeemed will be sung throughout all eternity. We've talked about songs, we've talked about praising God, but hey, isn't it something that's just worth looking for? Praise Him in your every day, in your every thought, in your every movement, but just, just, it's just awesome. I think of Enoch, he just walked into mm. act to heaven because he was praising God so much. What a great day that's going to be. All right, Brenton? Yeah. I had three little comments, so very quickly. Read the Word of God humbly, pray fervently, and serve God lovingly and sing joyfully (laughs) well I would like to leave a message too and this is something personal I believe we need to make more opportunity to dedicate ourselves our day, our time a day at a time to God God use me today Uh, here I am Helen would you like to close this study with prayer please delighted thank you let's pray loving heavenly father wow what a study father thank you for the encouragement that we can get through studying your word thank you lord that we can look down in history and we can learn lessons that you want us to learn through the study of your word thank you that we know that this will ultimately lead to the new jerusalem that we so look forward to a place where you will wipe away all the tears from our eyes no more death no more sorrow no more crying no more pain for the former things will be passed away lord it will be a great day 
It will be mm. a day of dedication. It will be a day of purification. It will be a day of rejoicing. But may we experience that in our life on a daily basis, every single day, Lord, as we come to your throne. May we rededicate our lives. May we ask you to cleanse us from all sins. May we believe that you have indeed done that. Yes. And may, as Len said, may we walk in your footsteps, Lord, and, and do the service that you want us to do, I pray earnestly in your name. Amen. 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 And I want to be in that choir. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen, everyone. Thank you very Let's much. Start practicing now. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, being part of this study. And until next time, may God bless you all. And don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.